What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Rutherford, and once again, I'm so excited, so grateful that we get a chance to sit down together and talk about the Word of God. Um, it's just truly is a great, uh, I don't know if I'll call this more of a hobby, because this is not, I mean, it's definitely a lot more work than just a hobby, um, and it, it is part of my work here at the Roanoke Church of Christ, but it is a big part of my work that I really, really enjoy getting to do. Uh, it's always great when you get to wake up and do something that you love doing, enjoy doing. Um, so I, it's, it's just grateful. Uh, my, my life is blessed far beyond what I deserve. I get to preach. I get to podcast. Uh, I get to, uh, I'm married to the greatest woman in the world. I have the most beautiful, most amazing baby daughter in the world. Uh, and on top of that, I even get to go play a little bit of golf sometimes. Uh, so life's good. Life is great. And I'm just so thrilled uh, just to be here. Just just happy to be here. Um, and uh, just grateful to have this opportunity to study with each of you, uh, to be able to to open up the Word of God, to, to, to study on this podcast as we go through 2 Peter chapter 1. This, uh, this whole season, we're talking about transforming into Christian living. What is Christian living? What does it look like? What does it mean? Uh, how should it affect and change our lives? And today, we are winding down a part two of two on a Christian grace that is oftentimes overlooked because I think it is one that is extremely difficult to put into our lives. It is extremely difficult to uh, to add in. And I think it's because it means and it, it involves you and I saying no. Uh, and that's hard. It's hard to say no to things. And we're talking all about this idea of having self-control, showcasing self-control. Um, last week, you remember that we talked about um, individuals who lack self-control in scripture. And obviously there's a whole lot more, but we highlighted three. We talked about Eve in the garden. We talked about Achan in the city of Ai. And then we talked about David and Bathsheba. Well, today I want to, just for a, a brief couple of minutes, this will be a shorter episode. Um, I just want to close this out by talking about two individuals who did showcase self-control. And then I want to give you some some practical pointers, four things that I think are very important for us. Um, if you have a, if you have a copy of the Word of God, go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to talk about David being one who showed self-control. And this is interesting because if you just go back to last week's episode, we just started talking, or we just talked about how David was someone who didn't showcase self-control, but he also is someone who did, at another point in his life, showcase self-control. Um, in 1 Samuel 24, David has essentially been running for his life. Um, we know that Saul was jealous of the success and the following, the popularity that David had gained. And so he tries to kill him. He, he, does, he wants to end his life. He doesn't want him to be around. He doesn't want him to be a threat anymore. And so David is fleeing for his own safety. And you get to 1 Samuel 24. Notice with me as we begin kind of reading through what takes place. You notice verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so essentially Saul is being told here, David is hiding nearby. Saul, it's time to kick things into gear. Let, let, let's go get this guy and let's get him off your tail. Let's not have to worry about him anymore. Verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. And went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So Saul takes men. They, they're going to go sit out and they're going to try to find David. Okay. Verse three. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road and uh, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend his needs. David and his men 
were staying in the recesses of the cave. So Saul goes into the cave to take care of some business. Um, some say that he went to go sleep. Some say he went to go to the bathroom. Uh, whatever it is, Saul goes in there and he's the only one in there. But unfortunate, I guess for both parties, David and his men are actually hiding way back deep into the cave. Well, notice verse four, and this is where you see the self-control uh, of David's show. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. How easy, just think about this, how easy would it have been for David to kill Saul? Oh, he could have done it, you know, just like that. And, and nobody would have even really noticed it first. To end his life so he wouldn't have to run? David, you're being wrongly accused. You're being wrongly chased in the first place. Surely, how tempting that would have been. And even look at how his men reacted. Uh, verse 6, And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. The Lord's anointed, my Lord the King. He's talking about Saul. David understood who was in control. He understood that there was a greater plan in place. There was something greater that he couldn't even understand going on than what he selfishly might have wanted to happen. God had caused Saul to be in that position. God had put Saul in that position. Thus, it would be God to take him out of it and not David. The self-control that David shows would would later allow Saul the opportunity to turn back to God. You see, if David had killed Saul, Saul was not in a good standing with God. Show safe self-control like David. Someone who surely could have made his life so much easier, but who chose not to because he respected God, respected what God had done and who he had put into place, and he showcased his self-control in that instance. Let's look at one more example. I want to look at Job. In Job chapter 2, beginning, uh, well, before we get there, I'm going to give you, again, I'll give you a little bit of context. And when I think about Job, uh, I guess the word difficult comes to my mind. Not that Job was difficult, but that his life became difficult. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he's considered to be the greatest man in all of the East. In fact, Satan and, and Satan comes to God after that and basically tells God this, Job is your only servant because you have blessed him. Or rather, he's only your servant because you've blessed him. God had allowed Satan to take everything from Job. And I think that's important to understand that it was God who gave Satan that opportunity. I think it was last week or maybe the week before we talked about the devil. We talked about Satan. And I think far too many times, and if you've heard me preach or teach on the devil, and I, I, we have a whole quarter coming up on him um, in our Bible class curriculum this year here in 2023. Um, we have some sermons planned out, Joey and I do, uh, to preach over the devil. But I think too many times we just assume that this is a, a clash of good and evil, of if two equals. But what does the devil have to do in order to do anything before he does it? He has to get permission. He has to ask God for it. And so when I think about the difficulties of Job's life, not just his wealth, uh, but, but, but then not just his family, but then also his own health. And I think about, think about the boils that he had to suffer. Think about all of these things um, that he had to go through. 
And yet what's most remarkable there, you notice beginning of verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In her eyes, she's thinking, man, it'd be better to bring about God's wrath and, and the physical torment and pain that, Job, you, that Job's going through. And yet Job says, you speak as a foolish woman. He knew that if he cursed God and ended his physical pain, but then it would start the spiritual pain. The greatest loss of all, material goods, children, health, a discouraging life, and yet through it all he holds to his integrity. You see, self-control is not pointing fingers at God and playing the blame game, is it? Having self-control is understanding that I'm going through a trial, I'm going through a difficulty, I'm going through a storm, but I'm going to do all that I can to be the best that I can be for God as I go through this difficulty, as I go through these hardships. Four things, practical things that I can do to strengthen my self-control. Number one, know the Bible. And in all honesty, when we think about it, this is what will help you overcome any problem, isn't it? It will help you overcome any difficulty if you study the book, you embed it into your mind, you etch it into your heart, allow it to consume your life. And when you do that, it will help you with self-control. Psalm 119.105, that word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows the right way to live. And without it, you don't know how to act and you don't know what to do. In fact, you notice Jesus' response to three different temptations in Matthew chapter 4. It is written, it is written, it is written. That's how Jesus overcame the temptations. His self-control was propelled, founded in the word of God. Number two, know the dangers. Know the dangers. You know, with every temptation, there is also an escape, isn't there? But also know that if the escape is not taken, that danger is going to follow. Every single sin, addiction, temptation, it will always, always, always lead you to danger. Physically, emotionally, and always spiritually. It tears families apart, marriages, relationships, the church. You see the reality of the destructive nature of sin and why exercising self-control is vastly important. Not only for your life now, but for your spiritual life in the hereafter. Here's number three. Know the difficulties. Understand that it's not going to be easy. No one ever said it would be. Being a Christian is not easy. It's not a religion of comfort, is it? Exercising self-control oftentimes means saying no. Perhaps in some cases saying yes when we want to say no. I beg you, I urge you, swallow those selfish and worldly desires. Allow God to reign in your life and be who you need to be. Know the difficulties. But then number four, pray. Before, during, and after everything in life, take it to God. First Peter 5 and verse 7, he cares for us. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Pray, pray, and pray some more. I want to leave you with one last thought. You know, being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. I know that's a fact because Jesus was tempted, right? Hebrews 4 and verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. There's nothing 
inherently, I guess, wrong. I don't know how else to say that. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. That's not where the sin is. But giving into the temptation, that's where the sin is. Allowing yourself to fall prey to the devil. Brother or sister, I urge you, fight it with everything that you have. Because if you don't, I promise you this, it will rob you of everything that you have. I want to close by reading out a passage in in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. This is right after the sin of Achan, right after they've been defeated at Ai. And notice how he closes this. In Joshua 7, in verse 20, uh, beginning of verse 22, or excuse me, beginning of verse 24. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The Valley of Achor, a valley of troubles, a valley of difficult, difficult times. And yet what is so interesting is that when you jump ahead to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 2 or Hosea, however you want to say it, Hosea 2 and verse 15, it talks about the valley of Achor, the exact same one, the one known for valleys of troubles and difficult times. And yet it tells us that the valley of Achor was transformed, made into a valley of hope. Friend, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're going through some kind of addiction, some kind of struggle, some kind of hardship to where you are struggling with self-control. Maybe your life seems like the Valley of Acor, where it's all troubles and all difficult times. I beg you and I urge you, when you and, when you and I as individuals give our lives over to God, we truly allow him to take control in our lives. Not saying that he makes you do things, but you allow him to lead you. You read his word and you understand what it is that he wants you to do. When you allow him to do that, allow his word to do that, it changes your life. And your valley of Acor becomes made into a valley of hope. Because there's a hope for something far greater and far better, Philippians 1 verse 23, than this life that is here. Live now for the hereafter. And by doing that, I showcase self-control. Thank you so much for being with me for this episode today. I'm grateful that we have had this opportunity uh, to study about self-control. We've closed out this one. We're going to open up a brand new part one of two next week as we're continuing to talk about this idea of transforming into Christian living. Thank you again so much. Looking forward to being with you next week. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.